My name's Andy. I'm um, an activist of Workers' Liberty in Lewisham. So this talks about, um, or this meeting's about climate change and how um, climate change in general and the kind of movement against climate change is, is, has been affected or will be affected by coronavirus. Um, so the biggest and the biggest and most obvious thing to start with is the fact that they haven't. So it's it's not immediately obvious exactly the best way to calculate how much CO two emissions have fallen. Uh, usually, in the meantime, across, like in as the year goes on, they basically just read that directly off GDP, and then there's one actual proper reading once a year. Um, so it's only an estimate, but the estimates are that uh, CO two emissions would have fallen about five percent in 2020. Um, this is the largest drop there's been since the Industrial Revolution, so since we started pumping out CO2 on a serious basis um, over, you know, 200 years ago. Um, so that's, that's quite a big deal, but in and of itself, it's not as big a deal as we might like it to be. Um, and I'm sure people have seen lots of stuff about kind of nature returning to our cities and our urban existences and, you know, goats. And so some are more credible than others. I don't think there's any dolphins in Venice. Um, there are goats in Wales, believe it or not, and they have gone to a town. Um, but more, like, more significantly, there's been 11,000 less deaths in Europe so far um, from air pollution because of coronavirus. So there is a material impact on the kind of immediate ecology of our, of our environment, as well as um, the kind of more long-term and serious issue of, of CO2 emissions and climate change. Um, so obviously, uh, this drop in climate change in, uh, in CO2 emissions is not due down to political will of any sort whatsoever. Uh, certainly not down to the environmental movement or the left or uh, certainly not green capitalism either and uh, all of those things we sometimes see about that about you know woke capitalism um, it's straightforwardly the the widespread ceasing of most economic activity because of coronavirus um, so um, in this and in the same way you know the, the, one of the common threads between these two things between um between climate change and um, the coronavirus pandemic is that they're both grounded and caused by, in different ways, capitalism. Um, there's been a lot of, quite a few studies out so far that have suggested that um, how heavily you might, similarly with, with climate change, you can't, it's quite difficult to say whether an individual act of, you know, a, you know, a hurricane or, or a particular volcanic eruption or whatever is specifically due to climate change. The climate change makes them much more frequent and much more violent. And there's um, studies suggesting the same about um, about pandemics that um, the kind of encroachment upon wildlife, lack of regulation um, of of the food supply, uh, the way that um, uh, nations have kind of ignored or cut their pandemic response plans and health services basically because of the lack of an obvious profit motive. All of these things um, will have increased the frequency and uh, severity of any of any pandemics. So um, and it's, if you you know and and capitalism is is a massive driver of climate change it's the fundamental driver of, of why we pollute the environment in the way that we do it's it's the profit motive that drives that um, and that ent entirely irrational basis is common to both these things um, so kind of the last time there was any kind of notable or any drop at all in, in co2 emissions was 2008 um, uh, because of the economic crisis but back then um, 2009 2010, bounced back with a with a vengeance um shot up to significantly higher than it was immediately before the crisis as a kind of reaction to restart the economy like to to make up some lost ground um in the economy and in for, for capital took that over so the fact that there's a drop in and of itself 
it means very, very little. It, it will be what happens in the immediate aftermath uh, that counts. Um, so it might not be exactly the same. There will be some um, differences, obviously, between 2008 and coronavirus. The coronavirus like impact is it, the immediate shock um, is going to have a much longer drawn out process. The winding up is going to be quite slow. Obviously, the economic recovery, if you could ever call it that, from 2008 didn't really happen instantaneously, but climate emissions did and air traffic and things like that didn't take that much of a hit um, a couple of years later. Whereas you, it's, it's very likely that it will be a long time before um, under nor normal circumstances, um, you know, air travel would remain the same as people are less willing to go on holidays as companies are more used to um, using kind of video technology um, rather than flying people all over the place. Um, but um, especially given like, you know, how chomping at the bit the government's going to be to restart the economy and, and economic growth at any means possible um we can very likely expect that it just bounce back if we go back to kind of business as usual um but um that's only if like this is an opportunity uh to reset our political trajectory away from away from the impending climate crisis um towards mitigating it quite you know very significantly potentially with a worker-led just transition um, by tr just transition, we mean obviously that, well, we, not necessarily obviously, we mean that, um, you know, transition from a fossil fuel economy to a net zero carbon one um, by just, you know, that this is not done off the back of, um, off, like, off the back of working class pain and suffering um, and that anyone in, you know, industries that uh, go the way of the dodo um, are given the ability to kind of retrain, um, no loss of pay or conditions or anything like that. Um, and worker led, you know, we want the workers to actually themselves have a huge say in implementing this and designing it and kind of being in control of what this transition actually is, because that, that's the social force that will be able to do it. Um, I mean, for so for a long time, um, you know, back as long as I can ever, I, I certainly have ever been involved in politics and probably a lot, lot longer. Uh, the environmental movement, um, you know, by which I mean kind of activist groups, local campaigns, you know, NGOs like Greenpeace, legal campaigns, that's been like, that's been what the fight against climate change has been to the extent that there's that there have been you know movements on the left or not so much on the left but particularly on the left against uh, climate change and organizing around the environment um those are the kind of forms that it's taken um and the labor movement and the trade unions have been secondary at best um, or absent or actively reactionary at worst you know uh, we know about unite who support the third runway at heathrow GMB supporting um, the expansion or maintenance of all sorts of fossil fuel industries because of a very sort of parochial, narrow-minded idea about protecting jobs of its own members. Um, no real conception of a, of a just transition there. Um, but like this pandemic um, is laying bare the centrality of workers and the working class to efforts to fight climate change um, because of this link that we, I've mentioned you know, already and that everybody can see between the fact that so many people have stopped going to work and that there's been this drop in CO2 em emissions. Um, it's shown that, yeah, if we don't go to work, the economy tanks and emissions fall. Now, obviously, the price for reduced em emissions can't be, you know, poverty and unemployment for millions of workers. That's not what I'm saying, obviously. But, but it does draw out, draw out the point that workers occupy a crucial position in economic life. And um, if they're organised, if we're organised around a political programme uh, for a worker-led just transition to a zero-carbon economy, um, the fact that we have that position and the fact that we're currently not at work, large sections of the working class are not at work, um, and the ones that are uh, wield even more kind of political and strategic significance than usual, um, that could give the labour movement um, some serious leverage.
Um, so what that means um, is that we need the trade unions to be taking leadership of the environmental movement um, rather than the, the environmental movement as been conceived over the last 30 years to be taking lead of the environmental movement. We need a crossover of political ideas from the environmental movement, from the better parts of it, into the labour movement and for the labour movement to see itself as the figurehead and the leading the leading force that can um, that can make a difference with climate change. Um, and this needs to go back further than things that the Labour Party has agreed, stuff like the Green New Deal. It's not it's not going to cut it. Um, you know, we know we need to push it further. So um, what I think that the left needs to be advocating is that the labour movement, especially in key polluting industries, um, refuses to go back to work when the lockdown ends unless and until uh, plans are developed to decarbonise sectors. Uh, with any decreases in jobs, as I've previously mentioned, um, in particular areas being addressed with retraining, alternative jobs, no loss of paying conditions. And for all of that, that plan to be developed and implemented um, with workers' oversight. Um, so this would need to be joined to demands. You know, if, we're, if, I'm, if what I'm advocating is workers go back to work slower than what otherwise would be, obviously there needs to be something else in place. That, that would be, it would be linked to demands for um, a proper welfare state that fully met the needs of people who were on benefits or on furlough, whatever kind of particular form it would take, probably both. Um, you, it would need to be you know, linked up with those kind of demands as well for a generous and humane benefit system. Um, so that's kind of the broad, that's the big picture. That's what I think kind of we need to be working at. Um, it's obviously not easy at the moment, given the, given the fact that it's quite difficult to organise um, in some of the more traditional ways than we used to. Um, but there are, you know, different groups have come up with different kind of creative solutions about some ways we can mitigate that and still, still, you know, do political activism, still organise um, without um, meeting face to face and traditional protests and things like that. Um, and it's also not easy, given that the unions um, have so far failed to consistently even campaign for full sick pay for those self-isolating, you know, it's been very patchy. A lot of the unions have seemingly furloughed themselves um, and have kind of really so far not taken the mantle that they kind of need to be taken given the, their position um, and everything that's going on. Um, but having said that, it's still, it's also an opportunity for us to renew the workers' movement through organising the unorganised. Because um, there are significant sections of, of key workers in particular who have little or patchy um, representation. The, the unions that are there are pretty, uh, pretty toothless, pretty useless. There's no density is very low or there's none whatsoever, um, you know, such as care workers, delivery drivers, supermarket workers, logistics. Um, so given the strategic importance of these workers and the issues they're facing from you know, inadequate PPE to lack of sick pay and uh, self-isolation pay, um, it's a big op opportunity for these workers to organise. So things like the Safe and Equal campaign um, are extremely important in that regard. Um, there's also a chance, I kind of think, for a new internationalism, for a renewal of internationalism, a kind of cutting through of some of the dross and the left nationalism and other you know, right-wing populism that we've seen growing over the last few years, because the crisis like, is so abundantly clear that there's no national solution uh, to a global pandemic. And that um, it just so visibly demands international solutions, even, even more than 2008. Um, you know, countries have closed their borders, like lots of, lots of um, right-wing governments are trying to use it to prop themselves up in various ways and blame China, not for the bad, actually, but genuinely bad things about China, like the cover-ups and the lack of democracy, but just for the fact that it's China, that it's a foreign country. Um, but like, obviously, the, you know, the virus has no respect for any borders and the kind of universality of the crisis uh, gives scope for kind of a greater discourse and cooperation between the organised workers of different countries. 
um, this kind of greater integration of the international labour movement uh, will be crucial if we're actually going to be able to um, challenge global capital on climate change as well. Um, another thing has in common, there's absolutely no um, national solution to that. Um, you know, it, you have to do something about Chinese pollution if you want to do something about British pollution, you can't cut it all up. Um, so there's, there's no sense in any kind of nationalism on either of these issues. So it kind of provides an opportunity for a kind of political renewal of, our, of ourselves, of the left, a kind of realignment with, um, with uh, internationalist um, positions um, against some of the nationalism that we've seen encroaching upon us for a long time now. Um, I mean, ultimately, like, it's obviously a big, all of this is very, is very you know, big issues. We might think that the actual agents that we're talking about, the organised working class, are quite small in comparison. But ultimately, the conscious element of the working class, the organised class struggle left, um, will be critical to the outcome um, to this, whether it's through its action or its inaction, um, whether the coronavirus allows, is allowed to kind of, you know, the right-wing governments are allowed to strengthen their position and expand mass surveillance and all sorts of things like that, or if the left can force a kind of rejection of the back-to-normal reopening the economy on the same basis type politics that we're, we're starting to see emerge over the last couple of weeks and lead away to um, a workers-led just transition. That will be down to those, the organised parts of the working class and it's all of our duty to do everything we can to push them on politically and organisationally. I wanted to start by talking about something that's, on face of it, has got very little to do with climate change, but I think it's important. And, um, and it's one of the most sort of shocking and appalling stories I've heard in recent weeks, and there, you know, there's been no shortage of those. Uh, and it's about a cleaner called Emmanuel Gomez, um, people may have seen it in the news, although it's actually received uh, very little news coverage. Um, so Manuel Gomez was a cleaner working for the outsource firm OCS at the Ministry of Justice. And um, at some point in the last couple of weeks, he died. He died very shortly after leaving work. And he died with suspected coronavirus. And... Um, his colleague said that he'd been suffering with quite severe symptoms of coronavirus for the past five days, but kept coming to work because he couldn't afford not to because his company didn't pay sick pay. Um, now that's shocking its own right that a worker would work themselves to death um, rather than face the financial hardship of going on the government's statutory sick pay scheme. But there's something even more disgusting about this, which is that um, so he, was, he was working um, in the Ministry of Justice with other cleaners from OCS, but nobody else was working in the building apart from them and maintenance people. So you've got an empty building that doesn't need to be cleaned. And yet, because the MOJ have got a contract of employment with OCS and want to honour that contract because OCS can't conceive of the idea of just paying their workers without actually getting their workers to go to work. This man ends up in a position where he work based, you know, he works himself to the point of death. And it's not just him obviously. I mean you think how many people did Emmanuel Gomez infect with coronavirus on the way to work. How many people, I mean, the Ministry of Justice is in St. James's Park. I mean, presumably 
a cleaner on nine pounds an hour isn't going to be living in St James's Park. This guy's probably travelling on several buses just to get into work, and he's been doing that for days, and his colleagues have been doing that for days. How many people, how much has the virus spread from this fucking mindless um, capitalism? That's, I think it's, it's, it's like mind-blowing to me that this is, this is happening. So what's that got to do with climate change? Well, I think these kind of stories are just really common at the moment. And they reveal something that we in sort of socialist environmentalists um, have been saying for a long time, which is that the pursuit of profit and the control over our lives by capital is um, opposed to social and environmental good. And, um, and in some ways, what the lockdown pandemic does, is it's just stripped that bare. It's laid that out and it's, it's made it obvious. Um, and I think it will become more obvious as the lockdown eases and more and more people are going back to work. I mean, these things are happening, um, you know, in outsourced cleaning companies. But actually, um, on London Underground, if you're on rotor for the night tube on London Underground, you still have to go in to work and work your shift on the night tube. But the night tube isn't running. There is no night tube. You've just got London Underground workers going into work. London underground workers are the most militant section of the British working class. You know, they've taken more strike days in the last two decades than any other workforce. So even there, you've got this problem of basically just demanding um, wage discipline, despite the fact they know that's contributing towards the spread of virus. So... Um, So there's this stark contrast that's emerging between what's good for the majority of humanity and, well, for all humanity, um, in slowing the spread of the virus, maintaining our safety, maintaining our health and our life and our lives, and the sort of imperatives of capitalism and the profit. I think I'll end on this point, which is that. So one of the authors of the last IPCC report, the International Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change, said that the next 10 years, this was completed in December 2018, so just over a year and a bit ago, said the next decade is the most important decade in our history. And when, but, ah, she wasn't referring to the Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change, which was saying, yeah. This is a big moment for uh, us scientists. She's referring to like a human species. <laughs> um, and um, we didn't really, nothing, as a species, we haven't really done anything about trying to solve climate change for the last um, year and a bit. Um, but um, 
I think there is certainly an opportunity to start thinking about doing that now. And part of that is that, as I said, there's a kind of obvious contradiction between what's good for people and what's good for capital. Um, there's also an imperative for people to actually do something about that. I mean, these are matters of life and death, and if they don't spur people onto action, then it's very difficult to see what will. Um, so there's that. Um, and, um, and there's also the issue that, of this idea of returning to normal. Now, I think if we do return to normal, then it will be a disaster. But I think it's very unlikely that we will. I mean, even if there's a vaccine, even if, you know, things can carry on the way they have um, uh, there's, there's, um, it, It's very likely that we'll be facing a massive um, economic catastrophe of which capitalism doesn't seems to have run out of answers for being able to solve. Um, and um, I mean, there's, from what I understand, other people probably got better understanding of this. Um, there's going to be large numbers of people unemployed, and there's going to be large. So there's so there's going to be a drop in consumer demand, and um, coupled with that, there's going to be I mean, until we find a vaccine, um, there's going to be a large, um, there's going to be a lack of desire to go out, even for workers like me, I'm a nurse, you know, I've got full wages at the moment, I will do for the foreseeable future. Um, there's, you know, I'm not spending the money I was because I don't want to go to the pub anymore, I don't want to go to the cinema, I don't want to go to the football, I don't want to go flying on away on holiday. There's loads of stuff that I don't want to do because they involve probably catching a deadly virus. Um, so that will have a massive effect on the economy as well. So we're looking at a very long, sustained slump. And they haven't got an answer for that. But we, I think we've got answers. Yeah? So one idea, I think, would be good, and one idea we've raised in the environmental movement a lot is shorter, short working week with no loss of pay and longer paid holidays. Longer paid holidays so you can take more ecological forms of travel, like trains instead of planes, and short working week so you can socially distance at work um, and, and imp you know, increase... Um, Quality. And I think these are the kind of things we need to start developing. I think also we need to pressure the labour movement as a whole for um, um, transforming the economy um, for, to um, meet the IPP, IPCC targets. And that means workplace by workplace, industrial sector by industrial sector, on an international level. Um, workers' organisations coming up with plans, 10-year plans, 5-year plans about how we actually go about doing this and, um, and, get, and, get the, um, and get this transition that we need. 
And um, now there's 12,000 um, cabin crew at BA that are at work, which should be demanding those people giving jobs and training so they can actually contribute towards these plans. Um, that's a big job to turn those organisations into this task. But, you know, apparently it's the most important 10 years in the history of the human species. So we should, um, we should rise to that. Right?